praise the Lord. Come on, put your hands together and praise. Nothing compares. An incomparable God. Worthy is the Lord forevermore. Come on, let's clap and just thank him. And hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. You may be seated in your place. Thank you for making your way out to our worship service today. And, and thank you for worshiping and singing the way you do. There's something therapeutic about singing. If you notice little children when they're born and just when they're about walking and all of that, they hum and they sing songs, sometimes out of key and, and uh, unfamiliar, but they sing. There's something about singing that refreshes you, that strengthens you, that changes not only the atmosphere, but changes you as well. So thank you for joining us in this service today. It's so good to see you. I'm glad that you made it here. And this is a good place to be. Yesterday I was uh, walking through um, the neighborhood and, and somebody looked and said, I know it was you because I had my mask on. And they said, I could see you smiling through your eyes. Amen. So the mask doesn't stop the love that we have inside. Come on, look at somebody and, and smile with your eyes right now right to the other side. <laughs> I want to thank you also for your, your tremendous loyalty and dedication and obedience to the, the, the guidelines we have to have, um, we're all submitting to them. And there, there is a, it is the right thing to do uh, to be able to, um, you know, wear the masks and all that. I just got back from my doctor this week. Uh, and for the third time, I'm negative as far as COVID is concerned. Third time. That's because I wear my mask. I wash my hands. I watch social distancing. And I pray. <laughs> So God is good. Make sure you wear your masks and uh, you'll be okay. We're in this season where we, don't you wish it would end already and we can go back to, not normal, we're never going to go back to that, but go back to something else other than what we're seeing, the tensions that we feel in the air. Um, you know, you can't walk around the city without seeing re constant reminders of, uh, of where we've been over the last months. And uh, what wears us down is that oftentimes we don't know when this is going to end or how it's going to end. Um, but we keep plowing through. One thing that I've come to a, a conclusion is that obviously systems have failed all around us at all levels of government, corporate. Uh, the dollar is not what it was before, all of that. But God is still seated on the throne. Amen. <laughs> I can park my faith in him. The other thing, too, of all the agencies that are falling left and right, I mean, uh, businesses and stores that you were shopping in January, now you can't shop there anymore because they no longer exist. But thank God that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ keeps pushing forward. At the end of the day, the church will remain standing because we have a task to accomplish. Amen. Can you thank the Lord for that? It is about the church. It's about you and I. And I know we've been listening and hearing the Lord speak to us. Last Sunday's service was tremendous. Those of us that were here and those that watched us on the Internet, it was just a tremendous service where we had a powerful visitation of the Lord. There was just no doubt in our mind of the presence of God in this place and how he spoke so specifically. And I believe in my time alone with the Lord, I believe that the Lord is just setting us up as a ministry, as a church, as a congregation, me, you, 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 and you on the other side of the camera, all of us together, uh, to be ready for what is unfolding. We have a lot of tension in the air. There's an expectation of something else uh, going on. I don't know what else, but something else. You see the weather storms coming up, and 
I know you've already started to store up on things because we're in the hurricane season. All of this stuff going on. And one of the things that has been laying heavy on my, on my mind and my heart for me, my family, and for this church is that we need to be ready. And you might say, ready for what? My faith takes me that I know that I just need to prepare. God will take care of everything else. There's some expectations of troubling times. And oh, no, I'm not panicking you. I'm just telling you that's what the season, even nature seems to be crying out. Even nature. But I, I want to say uh, several things of, that might make you a bit uncomfortable. Although we need to prepare, and prophetically it was told to us last Sunday, we cannot prepare at the current capacity that we have. I mean, we cannot face the challenge at the current capacity. We must increase our capacity. We must increase our ability to believe the Lord in an abandoned way. We need to be able to work through some of the things that lie under the surface of our hearts in order to be able to be light and salt in order to be the church. And oftentimes there's a lot of encumbrances. There's a lot of uh, obstacles. There's a lot of uh, many things inside of us that would be hindrances and, and stumbling blocks unless we identify them and address them. And I, I want to go down this, that path uh, this morning and teach, preach, and guide you and bear with me for a while. You may want to take some notes or later on you may want to play this tape again and and then write down some things that I think are important for us to know as we increase our capacity. We need to have men that will be more manly, women that will be more womenly, and children that will be more childrenly, young people that will be more children, whatever it is that that works out. Uh, a church that is ready to move forward. Now, I don't know, and I can't vouch for other places, but I know I have to answer to God for this house, for all of you that are here. That's why I want to return to look at something that you probably studied in discipleship and through your life's journey. And I'd like to talk about sin. Sin. And the impact of sin on our potential. Oftentimes, we think sin is adultery, fornication, stealing, killing. You know, those criminal activities. But I don't really want to go there. I, I want to go at sins that lie under the surface of our temperament that other people might even be convinced that we are holier than what we really are. Yet deep down inside, there's toxic, there's sewage, there's things that are festering that'll sprout at a moment that we didn't even realize. And I'll give you some examples. Judas didn't just demonstrate his lack of loyalty when he sold out Jesus. That was already brewing inside of him. That was already, Pharaoh didn't harden his heart when the people of Israel, Israel asked to be set free. That was already brewing in his heart. And unless we address those things that lie under the surface, we will truncate our future. We won't become the husbands that we need to be, the wives that we need to be, the people that we need to be, the, 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 the human beings that we need to be, because deep down inside, there's unaddressed issues. And what happens is unless we address them, they keep festering and festering and festering. And I want us, this church, to be ready to really ride the full potential that we have in the Lord. Amen. As a family, I want families blessed. I want single people here to be blessed. I want our young people to be blessed. The new ones to be blessed. The ones that have been here for a while. But it, does, it just doesn't happen by pressing a button. It really takes hard work, hard lifting that we need to do. 
And by the way, I want to just share right off from the onset, I'm not exempt from what I'm going to, I'm actually, you won't see it, but as I preach, I'm going to be jumping to the other side of the pulpit, figuratively speaking. Because this applies to me too. It applies to our pastoral team. It applies to leadership. It applies to those that think they have it all together. It applies to everyone. Because unless we start examining ourselves deeply and honestly, we're not going to reach our fullest potential. I, 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 and, you know, some, some sins are blatantly and you can see. I mean, you saw that 17-year-old guy, little young man, cross the border with a huge gigantic rifle, right? You saw him. You saw the video of what happened to that other man, the uh, uh, African-American man that was running into the car. And for whatever, we don't have, know all the details, but what we saw. I'm not worried about what we see. I'm worried about what is festering underneath me and underneath you. Come on, can you lift up your hands and just say, Lord, have mercy on me. I just have mercy on me. That's where I want to go today. That's why I've titled this Sin and its impact on our potential. I've used Proverbs as a verse to launch off. And then what I will do, for those of you that are taking notes, I want to give you an expanded definition of sin so that we can get an understanding of where I'm going, and then I'll, I'll touch the, the three major areas that I want to address today. Proverbs 28, 13, look at what it says. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. And when you study and read scripture, you can turn that around. So whoever reveals their sin will prosper. The converse works here. So whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces, and renounce there doesn't just mean I won't, I, I won't, I'm not, I'm thinking about not doing it any longer. Renounce means I'm not going to do that any longer. It's a big difference. Uh, the second pastor that was here, Pastor Rosario, used to, in many of his preachings, everybody preaches with a circle of themes. One of the circle of themes he had is that many people have the altar as a, as a wash basin. So every Sunday they come and they wash themselves of all sins and impurity. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way to Saturday, they do, they do their recklessness. And then Sunday they come back. We have to go beyond the Sunday wash-up. We have to go beyond that if we're serious. It's when you're alone and you can still honor the Lord. It's when no one's watching and you can still glorify God. It's when you're in a conversation and the Holy Spirit has not walked away because you're not really flirting. You're not, you're not trying to get your... You. Walking in holiness is knowing that God is walking with you all the time. That's walking in holiness. And so we see the, the, the verse, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but, who, but the one who confesses and renounces renounces them, those find mercy. So in order for us to get a, a, a launching pad for this discussion today, sin. Let me give you an expanded view of sin. And I'm going to move away from the, the right away where we jump to. It's uh, fornication, adultery, stealing, killing. No, look at this one. It's intentional actions to do what we know is wrong and harmful and we still do it. That's sinful. Intentional actions to do what we know is wrong and is harmful, and we do it. And in order to understand some concepts, we have to have different angles of definition. Another way of looking at this is to deny personal responsibility for the unjust treatment of less fortunate people. That's not saying, well, that's them. That's the Congress and Senate. They made those laws. No, 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 no. It is, it is to take personal responsibility. That 180 plus thousand people have died of COVID this year. Somebody has to take responsibility. 
to deny personal responsibility for unjust treatment of less fortunate people. That's a sin. In fact, by the way, that's New Testament teaching. In the New Testament teaching, it, it, that, that, that's what sin is about. In the Old Testament, you committed a sin, an infraction, and most of the penalties, especially for the major sins, was that they would stone you to death in a public setting. Here it is in that way in the New Testament. So it's about that personal response that you need to take ownership. It's to deny personal responsibility. Uh, sin, another way of looking at it, is to unfairly treat others solely for your benefit. I hear the word exploitation. It's to take advantage of a situation, take advantage of whatever is going on, and so, solely for my benefit. It's not what's in it for us, it's what's in it for me. That kind of attitude is sinful. It's sinful and will stifle our future and potential. Are you hearing me? It's not what is just beneficial for me. And by the way, as an institution, and organization, we have to follow suit as well. It is not just what's good for us, or for me rather. It is what is beneficial or detrimental to those around us. Those around us to, fairly, to unfairly treat others solely for my benefit. Another way of looking at sin, another angle is actions that devalue. This is critical. Actions that devalue someone's personhood. Everyone has the image of God in them. Everyone. And even if you agree or disagree, they are loved by God. When you walk into church today and someone in homelessness is increasing here in the city of New York because of what's going on, that person has the same rights to the kingdom of God than you do. Even the person that you don't like has the same, so we cannot devalue the personhood of someone. Or you meet someone and they live a gay lifestyle. They're a homosexual lesbian. You don't have a right. And I'm not saying own the sin, approve of the sin. I'm saying the intrinsic value of that individual. You can't devalue the humanist. Jesus would tell that person, come to me. All ye. The church says, get away from me. We need to stop that. That's sinful. When we look around, and I'm going to unpack this a little bit more as we go. So I'm going methodically slow because I want to make sure you get this. I'm not, this is not anger. This is not me on, on uh, dumping on anything. This is, we need to be ready, church. We need to be prepared. And we need to look deeply inside. If you have an attitude toward men, that's a problem. If you have an attitude toward women, that's a problem. But don't transfer those things on other people. Hallelujah. When we devalue the personhood of someone else, when we use labels to talk about people because of the color of their skin, the affiliation, what side of the road track or train track they were born in or whether they're allowed or not allowed into our communities, that's devaluing the personhood of someone. In fact, fundamentally, as I'm continuing to define, sin is, is, is the following. It's three, actually three things that encompass the general categories of sin. And sin is wrongdoing against your understanding of what God commands. Not my understanding, your understanding. If you only know this much about God, God's going to hold you accountable for this much about God. If you know that much about God, God's going to hold you accountable to that much about God. To whom much is given, much is required. I understand that you as part of this ministry, the, the responsibility of answering to God are much higher when I told the Lord yes. If I wanted an easy life, I should have just left it alone and warm up a pew. 
But the, watch what you're seeking because when you seek, the Lord is going to hold you accountable at a higher level and in a higher degree. Praise the Lord. You can clap if you want to. So wrongdoing against your understanding of what God commands. Number two, when you, when you uh, question the authority, biblical authority, the Bible is the final word. We're living in a time right now where the Constitution of the United States means nothing. Violating and breaking it, is, is, uh, everyone is doing that. Uh, you, you look at any angle of our society. I'm not going to go into a political discourse with you because that would not be beneficial. Beneficial, But laws and, and, and guidances and statutes and regulations don't mean anything anymore. The only thing left standing is the Bible. I'm telling you right now, when you go back here and says, yes, but what does the Lord say about qualifications for leadership? What does the Lord say about marriage? What does the Lord say about me interacting with the least of these? What does God say about my, felt, my brother, my sister? What does God say that the role of the church should be? Our questions need to be more often, particularly those in leadership. What is God saying to me? Not go see another video of whoever it might be. What is the Bible saying? And you, call, and you can cause injury to somebody when you don't, when you don't uh, uh, track down the word of the Lord and use it as your point of departure. What does the word say? And we react. How many humans we have here? All of me too, right? We react. Somebody does something to us and cuts us off and whatever. And you want to give them a piece of your mind and speak to the hand and all Fel Felicia and all this stuff, right? Right, you know, you know what I'm talking All this stuff at the end of that kind of immature display, which by the way I do too. What does the word say? What does the word say? How do I need to treat that person that doesn't hold the door for you? How do I need to talk that person that you know is talking about you? How do you know that person that rolled their eyes at you? Maybe it wasn't your eyes. Maybe they had a speck in their eye and they had to roll their eyes to get the fluids running in their, in, in their eye again. What does the Bible say? Don't go with my opinion. What does the Bible say? When we have our pastors and eldership meetings, we go back. What does the Bible say? We reflect on the word of God. So these three areas, unless handled correctly, fundamentally they will impact us to live a sinful life. Wrongfully, uh, wrongdoings against your understanding of what God's command, uh, uh, biblical authority in the word of the Lord, uh, causing injury to the innocence and intrinsic value of someone else. Abusing children. Abusing seniors. Abusing healthy people. You have people that work for you. You've got to honor them as created by the Lord. You cannot take advantage of them simply because you control their paycheck. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You have the ability to bless or blast. You got to make a decision there. And you say, yeah, but what they did, they deserve this. No, think about what we deserve. Hallelujah. Think about where we should be. Had it not been for the Lord. Amen. Are you following me, church? <laughs> Causing injury to innocent and, 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 and troubling the intrinsic value of every human being. You may not agree with everyone, but everyone is created by God. You know, even atheists and people that have other religious traditions, you need to honor, honor the humanness inside of them. I don't lose anything by honoring the humanness in someone else. In fact, the opposite happens. I'm enriched, emboldened. I am, I am lifted up when I celebrate God, the godness in other people. You've likely heard, as we're talking about sin, we can't go further from Scripture and Christian teaching. You've heard of the seven deadly sins of Christian teaching. You've heard of them. They're sometimes called the cardinal sins or the capital vices. 
you won't like these, but this is what it, lust, gluttony, greed, laziness, wrath, envy, pride. The problem is not that. The problem is if you leave those unaddressed. Unaddressed. That means get away from denial and address those. And then secondly, manage that kind of deformity. Because if you don't do it, as the verse says very carefully, it will lead to our demise. If you let yourself be parked on any one of these, if you're a greedy person, deal with that stuff. If you're lazy, stop being lazy. Lazy people never become successful. Never. They never make it in life, lazy people. They even, even sleep abandons you. The older you get, the less you sleep, and sleep slips away. Amen? And that's not, that's not about just doing, but doing things that are part of your purpose and makeup for life. Amen? Be busy on the things that will make you better, that will allow you to not only be blessed, but bless others as well. So the, dead, the seven deadly sins in Christian teaching, they're there. We need to make sure that we manage them, we address them, because if we don't, they will lead to our destruction. And by the way, for the seven deadly sins, the blood of Jesus covers that as well. I, I, actually, the underlying plan of this sermon is to lift up Calvary, to lift up the blood of Jesus, to lift up his sacrifice, because it is his sacrifice that covers all sins. Praise the Lord forevermore. You've also heard about the unpardonable sin, Matthew 12, 32, where we often say that's the one where you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Some of us may not even understand what the word blaspheme means, but it's really to devalue or take away the worth of the work of the Holy Spirit in the plan of redemption. In fact, to put it another way, the unpardonable sin, and that's the sin that, that will not be forgiven according to how some read the Scripture. I just want to tell you that when this Scripture sprouts, it's speaking to a context and an audience that did not understand the gospel. They were trying to emerge from their own theological and philosophical ways of life. So the gospel was a new thing to them. It was actually called the way. They didn't totally understand it. So what they didn't understand, they ridiculed. So when they saw the healings, they saw the workings of demonic spirits coming out, they saw the workings of Jesus, because they did not understand it, they attributed it to Beelzebub. They attributed that, to, and that's the context of that uh, Matthew 12, and, and they attributed it to demonic forces. So when they start seeing the work of the Holy Spirit, they right away called them out as well. So Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is correcting the believers by telling them, don't call that that because that is not that. They were making that connection. Uh, uh, the church today, through the, the passage of time, has allocated that kind of thinking to today, but that is not what it means for us today. The unpardonable sin is to ridicule and attribute the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in a person to be the works of the devil. It's looking at someone and saying, hey, I'll give you six months because that's not God. Who are you? Who are you? Years ago, I remember I've been, in, I've been serving the Lord for a long time and pastoring for a long time. And I remember years ago there was this uh, uh, preacher that appeared on the scene of the metropolitan area that he would pray and your, your, your teeth will be, will be filled, fillings. The Holy Spirit became a dentist. And you know what? I never went there because I'm a very good dentist. But I am not the one that's to judge whether that is or is it. And oftentimes we want to say it's judge and jury. Well, they're not really saved because I know about them. 
That is not redemption. That is not grace. That is not the role that I want this church to have. We have people coming back and coming through. We need to be able to celebrate the moment that they're here. Regardless of the baggage that they're carrying, the Holy Spirit will do the work and transform them. Be as patient with others as you expect God to be patient with you. Amen. And that doesn't mean pass the gloss over sin. Sin is sin. But sin needs to be addressed. The only one that can address sin publicly is the Holy Spirit. He's the only one. When Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira were sinning against the Holy Spirit, they needed to be reprimanded publicly. But let the Holy Spirit do that. But all other situations, you sit down one-on-one and you tell people, look, you're behaving this way, you're in this kind of situation... It, it won't work here, but I'm going to walk with you to get through this, this, this scene in your life. I've been pastoring now, senior pastor, for going on 27 years, senior pastor. Before that, I was the associate pastor. You have never heard me stand up here on a Sunday and say so-and-so is in discipline or this fellowship or is corrective action is being taken against this brother or this sister. We, I just don't do that. You know why? Because I believe the right way to do it is to call somebody in the office and tell them, with a lot of love and a lot of care, but tell them clearly you cannot be living this way and praying with them and then walking with them through the situation. The public doesn't need to know. Are you following me? And so when we we attribute someone's behavior and we ridicule that it is not the works of the Holy Spirit, but it is the works of evil, which they were doing back then, we are committing a sin here because we're saying the Holy Spirit is not the Holy Spirit. A hardening of the heart, for example. A person seals their future simply by hardening their heart. We see that with, uh, with, uh, uh, with Pharaoh, with the people of Israel. We see that with Judas. Judas condemned himself. God did not condemn him. He condemned himself. He hardened his heart to do what he was, was going to do for money. If you look at Hitler, Hitler hardened his heart. There was nobody, not, a mo- not his mom, nor his dad, nor his sister, nor his brother, nor his priest, nor his rabbi. No one could help him change his mind because he had hardened his heart. There are very few people that live that way, that have a hardened heart toward depravity and toward sin and criminality. Very few people, but they're still alive even today. That's the unpardonable. With a person realizes in their heart that God is inconsequential to their lives. You have to realize that one day, every single one of us will have to give account to God. I can't vouch for you. You have to vouch, and you can't vouch for me. You have to vouch for yourself. And we have to realize today that a person hardens their heart and seals themselves for condemnation. God did not want to condemn them. They make a decision on which path to take. The guy on the cross said to the Lord, remember me. And the Lord, he was destined not only for physical death, but eternal condemnation. And the Lord says to him from the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Christ wanted him to be rescued as well, but he had to make that decision and cry out to the Lord. So in regard to a person's sinful action, their decisions puts them beyond the scope of forgiveness and redemption. It isn't that the church wants them out. It isn't that God wants them out. It's that their decisions have taken them outside of the scope of redemption and forgiveness. 
When God created us, I'm not going to get too deep on this one, but when God created us and, and God formed man and, and established what we see today as humanity, God gave us free will. You have every right to do whatever it is you want to do, and God is going to respect you, even if it's to your own destruction. You can eat all the pork you want. You can pour salt on all the food you want, on ice cream, on pickles, on whatever you want. The Holy Spirit is not going to come down and tell you don't do it because you're making a choice to kill yourself by eating. You can say, very practical, but it's true. You can have a car and drive it at 150 miles an hour and never touch the brakes. The Holy Spirit is not going to come and turn off the cruise control, drop the ignition onto off, and, and stop the car for you. You That's what, the life you want to live. You want to jump from bed to bed to bed to bed to bed, and then feel, you feel guilty after every exit from a bed. That's your choice. God created us so that he respects your choices, even if your choice is destructive. And what happens when someone lives like that? They're putting themselves, it's not God, they're putting themselves outside of the scope of God's forgiveness and redemption. All the church can do is surround that person with support, be there, but don't condone the sin. Don't condone the sin. But don't also call it out publicly. Let the Holy Spirit do it in the time that he wants to do. Love on people. Be with people. But get your life right. If you want to increase your capacity, get your life right. Don't run up here and then, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, and then run back to be with somebody that you're not even married to. Come on. Come on. And then expect God and then criticize others? Who are you? Hallelujah. Come on. You can praise the Lord if you want. I, I love you. just want to set you down this path. Let's, let's get it right. You cannot play these things. That is playing with fire. And you know what happens when you play with fire? You place yourself outside of the scope of God's forgiveness and redemption. And by the way, I want to tell you, it's hard living right. How many amens do I have in the house? My doctor told me this week, Reverend, you need to do more exercise. And I looked at him and said, Doctor, I don't exercise. <laughs> Can you imagine the stress level in my life? Exercise. Then he says, do you sweat? I say, never. <laughs> you got to sweat. Do you huff and puff? I said, Never. So what did I do yesterday? I took out my bike and went for a ride. To, hated every minute of it. Things of, things, things of value in life require a price to be paid. And I'm going to confess you, living right is hard work. Even with the help of the Holy Spirit. So look, look, look. The application is this. Don't blame the church. Blame yourself. Don't blame others. They let me down. I have injuries. Come on now. Part of increasing our capacity is realizing that we are responsible for ourselves. And we place ourselves in God's will or place ourselves outside of the scope of forgiveness. Condemnation doesn't come from God. Condemnation is a result of, the, of us yielding to the powers of darkness. Explicitly or implicitly. Sometimes it isn't that we throw ourselves on the table of brujeria, but we entertain things that we shouldn't be entertaining. I, I don't know about you. Maybe you say, I'm, boy, he's really a radical and, and he's like... There's certain programs I don't watch. I don't watch. 
I just, why? Because you're, you're opening a door. Some of you shouldn't have cable. Cable's not a sin. It's not that. It's that you don't know how to change it to, to Mr. Rogers or something. Isn't it true? Come on. For others. Don't, but, but, that you need to start making adjustments. And I'm just helping you. Because there's sin in, and that festers inside. And you start loving those romance novels. But in reality, what happens subconsciously, and Pastor Vigi can explain it better than me. You're actually, you're, you're, what you're doing is actualizing those things into you. Pastor Vigi, right, you could teach that. In fact, she's going to be doing a class on this. We, and we're living out through somebody else. Yeah, 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 vicariously. Come on, say hallelujah if you can. I'm only telling you the truth. I'm only telling you the truth. I'm only telling you the truth. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah, deep down inside, you're imagining yourself. You're not Beyonce. You're not Denzel Washington. You're you. Short, stubby you. That's who you are. But vicariously. And by the way, that unpardonable sin also extends toward, you're, you're, not, you're not the wealth, you're not Bezos, the guy that just made, he's the richest man in the world that ever existed. You've got a fixed income, lived inside your fixed income. That is also leading you towards sinfulness. Why are you doing that? Why are you buying things you don't need? If you need them, buy them. Let me leave that there. There's not a class on that. You'll take that with, with Deacon David's class on good stewardship. Unpardonable sin. This condemnation does not come from God, but results in the person yielding to the powers of darkness. In my view, people with mental illnesses are exempt for anything I said here. By the way, people with mental, don't say now, well, yeah, I got it. You don't got nothing. You're just looking for a cop out right now. You're, you're all right. Yeah, you see the way I twitch? No, you're not twitching. <laughs> And I say that because it's important. People that are suffering clinically diagnosed mental problems, we don't, God is not going to hold them accountable for things that they do even to their bodies because they don't have the faculties. It is us that are on the other side of some level of sanity that we're able to care for them and provide resources and decide for them. But don't judge when people that are not well mentally all of a sudden do things, say things. That happens, and the people that are medical professionals here know what I'm talking about. An older person that all of a sudden starts telling you off and cursing you out, and they haven't lost their salvation. What happens is that the filter that they have, their social filter because of age, has now been clouded. And God sees that, and God, they're, not they're not destined for condemnation. God understands that. If you're dealing with a family member with Alzheimer's or some level of dementia, God understands that. They'll tell somebody off and you off or whatever. You know, they know you today and tomorrow they don't know you. They're not playing games. They have, they have mental problems. That's what it is. And don't look at that as a stigma either. That's part of the journey of life, by the way. God is going to hold us accountable how we treat our seniors. He really is. He really is. Come on, you can clap. Praise the Lord. Let's go back to the text so I can wind this, uh, end this. Sin and its impact on your potential. The text says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I want to talk uh, briefly mention three things. Cover, uncover, and recover. Cover, uncover, and recover. Cover is to pretend. Remember that song by Mercury? I am the great. All right, you got it. Come on. <laughs> uh. Nice song, right? I want to get serious, though. Some people fake it. 
they demonstrate, try to demonstrate a level of spirituality that they don't have. They've never had. We need to start admitting that we're not all that in a bag of chips. That left to our own, we would have done exactly what Moses did and struck the rock. That left to our own, we would have done exactly what Adam did. That left to our own, we would have done the same thing Ananias and Sapphira did. That left to our own, Judas would have been our partner. Left to our own. We got to stop covering. And I'm not saying come up here on a microphone and tell us. No, no. Some of your stuff we don't want to know. <laughs> Please don't tell us. I'm talking about, and I'm going to get to the next one, which is uncover, the altar of confession. There's some things that you need to tell God. So cover is to pretend to be something that you're not. By the way, trying to be somebody that you're not is a lot of work. It's exhausting because you're never going to be them. Never. Pretenders, listen to this, pretenders place unfair expectations on others in order to cover their own public display of depravity. Pretenders are quick to notice errors in others so that no one will focus on the mess they have. When their failings are surfacing, they maliciously pivot toward the failures of others. Yeah, but look at them. The text suggests that some, that people like this will never prosper. Pretenders will not go beyond their pretending. They will pretend to be spiritual. They will pretend to be holy. They will pretend. You know, one of the things I, and I was telling uh, Willie earlier today, the masks are interesting. I can't tell if you're really listening to me or you're, you're yawning. You might be pretending to be engaged. Hallelujah. And then you can't elbow somebody because they're six feet away from you, right? <laughs> Pretender goes beyond, below the surface. That's you trying to, when you, if you're too judgmental, if you're judgmental, you're pretending. You're making them less than so that you can rise to the surface. Let God lift you up. Let God promote you. Let God elevate you. Don't wait on man or systems of society to do that. Let the Lord lift you up. Don't let the, 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 uh, the recognitions of people serve to make you feel so powerful. Be entitled in the Lord. You are somebody. You are a royal priesthood. You are a co-heir with Christ. I am the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. I don't need affirmations from others to make me feel good. Hallelujah. Pretenders are persons that frequently engage in name-calling. We, we got to get away, church, and don't get into this stuff. They, they call people by name all over the, all over the place, at work, everywhere. L listen to news, to the news for a little while. Name-calling simply means that I can't address you as a person because I don't view you as a person, so you are a thing. That's a sin. Did you hear what I just said? That means I can't address you as a person. So I address you on what I think you are, on my imagination. Deprived imagination of who you really are. That's the label I'm going to give you. We got to get away from that. People are people. Don't judge by color. Don't judge by language, by accent. People are people that are created by God. You and I are created by God in his image and likeness. And we need to honor that. And pretenders, what they do is they name call. They call you whatever. And I'm not going to go into the names. You know the names. Names you were called in school. I remember even when I was working in, in corporate back, back when I left, uh, I remember the name calling that they did there. And today I say, wow, man, those, those people, they cheapen themselves. They cheapen. Don't get involved in that. They come from there. They're like, you know, they're, they're, the, they're the crazy people. Get it? We're all crazy. How many crazy people we have? You don't want to know how crazy I am. Name calling. That's childish. 
That's childish. Kids in elementary school, what they do is they, they, they call things uh, characters that they don't see. And imagination is, is a wonderful uh, a teaching experience for children. They see, uh, 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 they imagine things. So they see those things. But they don't name call each other. They learn how to be name callers by you and I. Adults teach our kids how to be name callers. Stop that. Don't repeat it. Pray against it. Bring those, out, those things down in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's simply name calling and their attempt to cover our own darkness. I say that you're bad so people will think I am good. I try to speak well because that way people think I'm educated and you're not. Come on. Hallelujah. I love Dr. Fauci. You could tell he's from Brooklyn. <laughs> Isn't it true? He's the highest ranking uh, whatever doctor in his field, recognized around the world, not just now but forever. Forever. Yeah. And you could tell he's from Brooklyn. From Brooklyn. <laughs> you, you can't hide where you're coming from. Where you, where you come from. You need to be who you are. And don't attempt to be what you're not. Because you're a horrible imitation of somebody else. But a wonderful product of who you are. Come on, you can clap right now and thank the Lord for that. Cover, cover, cover. Number two is uncover. Uncover is confession. The way we get out of that sinfulness is through confession. The way we impact the sin in, in our lives is through confession. Confession is to formally admit that I am guilty as charged and worthy of the com, uh, consequences of the infraction. I am guilty as charged is to admit, yes, I did it, and I am guilty as charged, and, and I'm, I'm willing to face up uh, to the consequences of the infraction. That second part is important. Because you say, yeah, but I said I'm sorry. What more do you want from me? Well, look at the second part of what I just said. That is that you, you realize that now you can't continue doing what you were doing for a while. Why? I said I'm sorry. No, no, that doesn't reset everything. There are consequences to what you do. You go ahead, eat a lot of fried food and pork and all that, and you go, the consequences is you're likely going to have high cholesterol levels in your bloodstream. Just by saying I'm sorry, I won't eat any more pork, doesn't mean that boom, now everything is fine. They're con you smoke like a you know you smoke like a chimney. You're smoking all the time. All and you and you do what again. You're responsible for you. The problem is later on now when you start having some physical problems. That's what you want. You can't just wipe it away. You can't just wipe. You get how many people here are getting older? Can I bust your bubble? Everybody right now is older than when they first sat down an hour ago. Right. With age, your hair goes, turns gray, your wrinkles show up. There's no, you can say, I'm sorry that I'm 67. You got it? So it isn't just confessing, I spoke roughly to someone. I talked about somebody. I gossiped. I it isn't just that. It's understanding, of course they're going to give you a dirty look. You talk about their kids. Of course they're going to have a hard time greeting you. It's not that they don't love you, but right now they're upset at you. Any parent that's here, you've been upset to your kids and you don't even want to see them. You want to send them to another planet for a little while. You don't want them to get hurt or anything, but you don't want to see. You can't, I, get, walk away from me now because if you don't walk away from me now, right now is not a good time to say mommy or pa Any parent want to say hallelujah? hallelujah. Understand the consequences. Of the infraction. When you do wrong, you may have to sit down. 
You may not be able to go forward. That's confession. But confession is so necessary. Confession clears the soul. Confession clears. It wipes the slate clean. Even though you suffer the consequences. You made someone pregnant and you're not married. You can't do away with that child. The consequences of that action that you had. That moment of lust, which is one of the seven deadly sins. All of a sudden you've procreated. Whether that child wants it or not, they're here. You're responsible as a Christian man and woman to supply for that child for the rest of their life life you can't just brush it off just you can't be like an ostrich and stick your head in the ground and i don't see it it doesn't exist it's there it is there years 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 ago we had someone in this church that uh, worked in uh, in corporate and they 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 got involved in some criminality and ended up taking some of the money from the corporation and then when it all blew up they ended up the investigation took them to um um, you know, prison and all of that stuff. And I remember sitting down. This is a long time. They're not here any longer. Long time ago. And I remember sitting down with the person. And at the end, I, I was shocked. And the roommate says, you know what? He tells me, Pastor, I did it. I did do it. So just, you know, they, they caught me. I got caught. Do it. And went out and I said, yeah, that's good. And, you know, crying and everything. He says, but I really feel that the right thing to do is pay back all that money. I'm like, I didn't show it my face. But my heart said, wow. And you know what? It took them years. But they paid back all that money. Confession is when you own up to the sin and the consequences associated with that failure. Is that okay with you today? That's what it is. It is worthy of the consequences. The eternal consequences of sin are neutralized when we personally confess to God. And then we work at never repeating it again. What I was saying before, Pastor Rosario, you can't come up here, wash yourself, leave six days of sin and come back, wash yourself, six days of sin. No, no, you have to say, I'm not going down this path again. And then some things are really hard to break. And isn't it true? Some habits are really hard to break. You say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me so that I can harness my sarcasm. Help me, Lord, so that I don't lie. Help me, Lord, so that I don't take things that aren't mine. Help me, Lord, so that I don't flirt when I shouldn't be flirting because I'm married already. Help me, Lord. The Lord will help you. And even if he doesn't help you, don't go down that path it will impact your future it will impact when you come to the Lord the Holy Spirit does not empty you and you've heard me say this before the Holy Spirit does not empty you of estrogen nor testosterone you've got to learn to be a big boy and a big girl and manage that stuff to honor the Lord if you're serious if you're serious, you, have, you can't go back there. If you were breaking the law before, you can't go back there. If you were hurting people by your words and slicing them by your words, you can't go back there. Repentance, uh, confession, takes us to a place of not only owning up to the consequences of the infraction, but vowing never to go back. Look, confessors don't present excuses. They own up to their own mistakes. Confessors point out only, uh, uh, confessors point only to their own infractions. Confessors prepare themselves to face the consequences. Confessors remain fully aware of the inclination to fail again. Every single one of us has the capacity inside to sin big time. Right now. You might be saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and a tither in this church that we have a track record of every dime that you gave. But let me tell you right now, inside of us, under the right conditions, we'll go down that slope in an instant. We'll tell somebody off, give them a piece of, my, uh, of our mind, show our hands, felice, the whole thing. We'll go down this one. They say, oh, Lord, forgive me. A mature Christian realize, realizes that they can do that. You know why that's important? Because then we won't judge others that do that. When you see men and women fail in ministry, 
Don't say, wow, they had a big church. They had resources. You can do that. You can go that way too. When something happens and blows up in somebody's family, you're capable of doing that as well. Be aware of the human depravity that exists in all of us. All of us. Every, when you get that and you carry that burden with you, you'll realize that that's the gate that will open for you to live a sinful life. Then you will allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and man. And you say it's not fair. Welcome to life. Not fair. How many of you know that life is not fair? Especially the life you made, the life that right? we're responsible for making our lives. We need to be careful with that. So I talk about cover, uncover. In fact, in, in uncovering, confessing, uh, we use this verse frequently when we do communion. 1 John 2, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive all of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It says all, 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 all. All. The final one is recover. Recover is the faith action that embraces redemption and full restoration through faith. I mean, sorry, through grace. It's a faith action that embraces redemption and full restoration through grace. I'll say it one more time. It is a faith action that embraces redemption and full restoration through grace. Although the purpose of God for you as a man, a woman, as a leader, the purpose and call of God over your life, the potential in your life is irrevocable. Irrevocable. That's yours. A person can sidetrack that divine plan by the de decisions that they make. And redemption is offered through grace. So the decisions that you make can take you off track. But God has his eye. There's a, there's a, 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 a saying that there's some farmers that should be pastors and there's some pastors that should be farmers. Because of their decisions, they ended up going down the wrong path. But that is not what God planned for them. God had another plan. I had a, a wonderful idea. I had a great idea. The mistake I made is I told God. After he finished laughing about my great plan for my life, then he called me out of Wall Street into pastor a church. There's no pastors in my family. But God knew all along that this is what I needed to do. Everybody has a plan and a purpose that's divinely orchestrated over, over your life. Live, left to me, I would, have prepared, I would have preferred to stay, if I was after money, to stay where, what I was doing because I would have been incredibly wealthy. But I learned to be obedient early in my life, so I ended up saying yes to what I'm doing now, which, by the way, I love what I do. I love what I do. The boundary lines have fallen for me in delightful places, and I have a wonderful inheritance is my verse, my key verse. My point is God has a plan over your life. Find out what it is through spiritual disciplines, through prayer, to coming to church, to reading the Word. Let the Lord, and then have the courage to go that way. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. So God has a purpose that's irrevocable, but you can sidetrack that plan by the decisions you make. Notice that redemption cannot occur alone. This is a huge mis mistake that we make. When you confront someone that has failed, you cannot leave them alone. What happens psychologically, what happens to the person, they feel devalued, they feel cast aside, and very easily the enemy can come in and have them have thoughts that they would normally not have, even to harm themselves. So when someone has caused us, has fallen in sin, it's not to shun them and say, hey, I knew that. How come the pastor didn't know? I knew that. 
No, no. That's the time to embrace. You have no idea of the number of people that we are able to walk alongside and no one needs to know. They failed. They made a big mistake. And it's not that we, we, we softened. The, no, no. You blew it. You blew it big time. Why didn't you talk to me before? How can you do that? This is not what I expected. But you say that in a closed environment. In an office where no one is around. Or in a meeting that you have with that individual. Not recorded. Not written down. You simply. Because confession is important. But redemption is that ability to get people to stand up. That's what Jesus did on the cross. When we were yet sinners, he died for us. We didn't, why did he even get involved with us? Simply because of love. And then he walked with us. And when he couldn't walk with us because he ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit shows up as our paraclete. That means one alongside us. Think about that for a moment. And what we do is that when somebody makes a mistake, you know somebody in your family, you know some, a loved one that is living a life that you don't like. This is not the moment to give them the cold shoulder. And stop beating them on the head about the crazy life that they're having. They know it. But if you can walk lovingly, not saying your lifestyle is correct, not saying your behavior is all right, condoning that, but maybe not even going into that conversation. Go to Carvel's with them and buy them a big Sunday. Love on them. Call them once in a while. Why? Because they're still family. Are they not? In this church, I don't ever want that here. I don't practice that. Just because someone is not living the way I think they could be living, even if I have an opinion and I feel from God that you're truncating your future, whatever plan you have for you, I'm not going to abandon you. There's people that have left us that I still call, that I still look up. Why? Because I want to make sure that they follow the path. Not the path I want, but friendships are important, especially now in the times that we're living, where there's so much disagreement. And we cast our family members aside. We cast our friends aside, people that were with us. And yeah, you tell them, I'm upset at what you did. You know, for three months, I didn't want to talk to you. In fact, I deleted your email, everything from you, because I was so, so upset at you. But then the Lord got a hold of my heart, and here I am. But if you do that again, when you have a love relationship with someone, you could talk to them that way. But if you've not invested in them, then you can't work with them through their redemption. And redemption requires that I walk alongside someone that has stumbled. It isn't a time to scatter. It isn't a time to scatter. It is a time to make a call, to connect with the individual. I saw what happened. I heard what happened. And don't get into anything. But are you okay? Are you, are, you can make it. You know God has a plan over your life. I'm gonna, you don't have to tell me any details. I'm going to pray along with you. I'm gonna, you just, I want you to know that even when I don't call, you're on my mind. You're in my heart. You're in my prayers. And encourage somebody. It isn't about a public display of punishment. The chastisement of ours was, was placed on the cross, and by his stripes we are healed, it says in Isaiah. So he carried the full burden of our craziness so that we can be set free. No, redemption never occurs alone. A person cannot be redeemed, nor restored, left to themselves. If someone isn't with them as they're journeying through their failures, the enemy is going to go and surround them. I'm telling you. And thoughts of destruction and ending it all will be their companion simply because someone of value, someone that genuinely cares, isn't walking with them. You, need, you and I need to walk with people that are hurt. Others need to... You, you, you have to have a relationship that you can confront somebody, but you also have to guide them. You have, have to nurture them. You have to defend them. And even publicly, church... That's my boy. He's been with me. Yeah, but I know you don't know. No. 
I don't know about the past, but now I can vouch for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you need to stand up and say, no, they're, they're right. They, did, they made a mistake, but they've recovered from them, from that mistake. And I was a witness of that recovery. That's what the church needs to do more than ever before. Until we get to a place where we are perfect and completely innocent, then we don't have to go down that road. But that is actual ministry. Actual ministry is not giving person who are giving medicine to a person that's completely healthy. Ministry is walking with somebody that has failure, that has shadows, that has cracks in their armor, that needs someone to see Jesus with flesh on walking alongside them. Others are needed to confront, to guide, nurture, defend, and establish the fallen. We need to go after them and not kill those that have fallen and made mistakes but be on their side. The text says that whoever conceals the sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces finds mercy. Church, we're all guilty. We're all guilty. All of us. At one point or another, we were pretenders. At one point or another, we became judges. God does not want our church to be that way. Doesn't want me or the pastoral team to be that way. We have to live a life of fear and trembling before the Lord and let the Holy Spirit just work in our lives so that when whatever is coming arrives, we'll be able to receive it and move forward to be a healing agent in this area called ministry. Let's stand up throughout the sanctuary. Let every head be bowed and eye closed. And here's what I want. Forget about the people around us right now. Just lift up your hands. And I want to, I want to lead you in a prayer of confession. We all have to have a prayer of confession. Father, I stand before you first myself alone. I confess to you my frail humanity. I confess to you, Lord, that your purposes and plans could be truncated and even neutralized unless I go before you and realize my own humanity and the consequences of what could happen. Help me, Lord, that I may honor you every day. Help me, Lord, that I may be an example to this flock, to this community, of someone that walks fearfully and obedient, obediently to you. I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, those here and those watching us right now on the other side of the camera, we confess, Lord, we can mess up so big time. Inside of us is brewing this toxic inclination. And Lord, we manage it and we try to do our best to control it. But every now and then, it, and again, it surfaces. Images and memories of the past. We're walking down the street and even a fragrance in the street reminds us of something so long ago. We're easily swayed. But, Father, we lift up our hands and, and own up and realize, Lord, that we can easily mess things up. But, Lord, we don't want to. We don't want to bring shame to our families, to our loved ones, and certainly not to you. And I know the future of this ministry lies 
in this pivot point, we confess, forgive us of our sins. And as we hold up our hands, send your Holy Spirit that we can become better husbands and wives, sons and daughters. That we can honor you, Lord, by the decisions and the actions that we take from this point forward. Wash us in your blood. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Visit our homes, Lord. Let our homes be examples. Look at my brothers and sisters that are battling with temptations or perhaps decisions of lifestyles that they made. Help them, Lord. Guide them, Lord. To undo what needs to be undone. Because at the end of the day, we have to honor you. We as a church will not judge. But you, Lord, through the work of the Holy Spirit, bring conviction. Look at our brothers and sisters that are suffering loss. We pray, Lord, there too, the work of the Holy Spirit, come to comfort and strengthen and bring inspiration. And help us, dear Lord, as this ministry says yes to you. Help us, Lord, that we might become everything that you have purposed for us. Even before the foundation of this church and certainly before the foundation of time. Not our agenda, but your agenda. I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. If you could just... Stay there in this moment of worship.